Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. So here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at Jesus' view of the Bible, which I think is vitally important as we consider the topics of the doctrine of revelation, the doctrine of inspiration, the doctrine of inerrancy, and how all that functions together. Let me do a very short setup on that. I'll see at the top of, the, of your handout, theological liberalism and the quest for Jesus. So while I'm not going to dive into this in detail tonight, in a few weeks we're going to look at the question of authority. Who has the right to say what is true and right? And theological liberalism really pushed back against historic Christianity on that particular topic. If you want to make a connecting illustration, last week when we talked about uh, Thomas Jefferson and his view of the Bible and how small his Bible was, and Mary Ruth, thank you very much for that copy of Thomas Jefferson's Bible, which is much smaller. Um, So theological liberalism basically approached the Bible as anything miraculous or supernatural, they pulled it out. They, they didn't believe it. So where that led is to what, we, what uh, historians have worded, the quest for the historical Jesus, which was a book written by uh, Albert Schweitzer in the late 18... Actually, 1906, I think, is when the book came out. And essentially, that book is trying to find out who is Jesus. Because historic Christianity has Jesus as the divine Son of God, fully man and fully God, who died on a cross to rescue us from our sins. But that view of Jesus, that is a biblical view of Jesus, by the way, that view of Jesus is a Jesus of the supernatural, a Jesus of the miraculous, a Jesus who walked on water, a Jesus who was raised from the dead, a Jesus who healed blinded eyes. And if you ignore the supernatural elements of of the Bible, you've got to, if you ignore that, then who is Jesus? Well, this, the quest sought for a Jesus behind that. Well, who was he really? Was he a Jewish carpenter that, that had a death wish? Was he a revolutionary? And those quests gave all sort of different answers. And so, uh, the quest sought the historical Jesus behind the Christ of faith. Now, here's what they, what they got. They got a lot wrong. And over the course of the next few weeks, I'm going to tell you where they got a lot of things wrong. But while the portraits of Jesus in these quests are problematic, they do recognize something, and that is the centrality of Jesus in Christianity. One of the things they recognized was that if you're going to re-envision Christianity, you cannot re-envision Christianity without making some sense of its founder. And so anything you look at with related to New Testament Christianity, it has to be an interpretation or an explanation of Jesus. And I'm just going to tell you, I agree wholeheartedly for that. That Jesus is the central figure in all of the Bible. And, and I've heard over the years that there are folks who really like Jesus. I think Thomas Jefferson liked Jesus. I think he envisioned Jesus as a traveling preacher who made really wise sayings like love God and love people and be nice to others. And, and, but Jesus also said some things that are quite troubling and we won't get into all the details of those. With that said, I think a good starting point for us as we move to the, the specific question of inerrancy, which is the idea that in the original autographs of Scripture, the Bible is infallible and without error. I think a good starting point for that perspective is to go to what Jesus said about Scripture. 
So what did Jesus say about scripture? What in the New Testament did Jesus tell us and say about scripture? And does that influence our understanding of inerrancy and authority? And I think absolutely it does. So there are four, these are not exhaustive, but these are four specific areas that that I can draw out regarding Jesus' view of the Bible. Here's the first one. Jesus came to fulfill scripture. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, Sermon on the Mount, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota and not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Listen, Jesus did not come to say the Old Testament is worthless and we need to ignore it. Jesus came to fulfill what the Old Testament articulated whether it was in applying the law, living it perfectly, or whether it was in fulfilling the sacrificial system. Jesus came to fulfill Scripture. If you look at Luke chapter 4, verse 16, which is a fascinating passage of Scripture, Jesus read from the scroll of the book of Isaiah, which, as an interesting aside, skeptical scholars think that Isaiah had at least two authors, or sometimes three authors. What's interesting is Jesus quoted from all three sections of the book of Isaiah, and every time he did, he said Isaiah was the author. So Jesus did not believe that Isaiah was written by three different authors. He believed he was written by one, and you know, Jesus is God perfect. I'm going to take Jesus' word for the authorship of Isaiah. It's another story. But he, he read this passage of scripture from Isaiah and then he said, at the very end of verse 21, he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now here's a wild thing. I want you to think about this for just a second. And this is the audacity of Jesus. He read the Bible in a synagogue. He sat down when he read the Bible and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in front of you. Arguing that he was the fulfillment of the Bible. That is a brash claim. In fact, one of the things that we ought to realize when we look at Jesus, particularly in what he made claims for in the New Testament, you don't have to believe Jesus. There is an option for you to walk out of here tonight or for an unbeliever to read about Jesus and reject him. But we can't just say that Jesus was a nice guy, a traveling preacher. We can't say that. C.S. Lewis described it this way. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. Either he is completely mistaken and what he claimed in Luke 4 is ridiculous. He's a lunatic, meaning that he's a madman. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Or the claim that he made, he can back it up. Because no one in their right mind, no teacher in their right mind, and I can prove this to you, if you look at the end of Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the, the, the hearers said that Jesus taught them as one with authority, not like their scribes and Pharisees. Essentially, when he spoke, he spoke as if he was the fulfillment of what he was saying. You don't do that unless you're trying to draw an audience or draw a crowd or challenge someone's perception. And Jesus was trying to do all of those because he is what he claimed to be. So Jesus came to fulfill scripture. Let me give you uh, point number two. Jesus taught the saving and sanctifying purposes of scripture. He taught the saving and sanctifying purposes of scripture. I don't have those written down for you. I've got the text written down for you. Let me just highlight a couple of these real quickly. Luke 16 is the story of Jesus telling about, uh, the parable rather, of Jesus telling about the rich man and Lazarus. 
And, and the rich man, you know, he went on to, to hell and he was having a conversation with Abraham and he wanted his brothers to be converted. Remember that story? He told his, he told Abraham, listen, if you will send someone back from paradise to tell my brothers, don't come here. Uh, don't come here. Abide by the law. Don't come here. And here was the word. Abraham said to the rich man, verse 31 of Luke 16, he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus' own words, speaking through the mouth of Abraham in that conversation said, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, they won't hear if someone is raised from the dead. Which is partial explanation for why many of the Jewish Old Testament believers, like Judaizers, those that had the law, when they heard the gospel communicated and preached by the early witnesses, they didn't believe because they didn't understand the fulfillment that Jesus came to offer them. In other words, what is Jesus saying? Salvation comes through Scripture. Listen, when, when you hear scripture read or taught, the other day, I had a wonderful privilege to lead a high schooler to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know how I led a, faith, led a high schooler to faith in Jesus Christ? Scripture. Let him read what God said about our sinful condition and our salvation. The scriptures God uses to save and also uses to sanctify, to make us right. Uh, John chapter 17, for example, 17, 17. Sanctify them. This is Jesus' prayer, high priestly prayer for his followers and for us. He says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. In other words, God's word is true. We'll talk about truth in a specific instance in terms of authority and inerrancy in a couple of weeks. But Jesus says, sanctify them in your truth. Where, where does your truth come from? It's his word. If you go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, God's word is responsible for reproof, correction, training, and so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, God's word is sufficient to tell us how we need salvation, and it is also sufficient to bring us to sanctification. It's sufficient to show us our flaws and our faults. So Jesus believed in or taught the saving and sanctifying purposes of scripture. Let's go to a third observation. Jesus held the inviolability and you're going to need to turn that on the screen because I don't want to spell that word out. There you go. Jesus held the inviolability of scripture. Essentially that means scripture cannot be broken Scripture can be changed. It's going to happen. One of the things I didn't do in looking at Jesus' view of Scripture, I didn't look at all of the fulfilled prophecies that Jesus connected to himself in the New Testament. And there are a plenty of those where Jesus specifically said over and over again, this happened to fulfill what was written in ages past. Now, let me look at a few places where this, is, where this is the case. How about Luke 4, verse 16? But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. This is what Jesus is saying. The law itself, the words of God, the dot, that would be a specific mark that would reflect whether a, a letter was a, a vowel or a consonant. Because in the Hebrew language, there aren't vowels. 
the original Hebrew, vowels had to be supplied. And the dots were sometimes uh, indicators of whether it was a vowel or how you spoke it. In other words, it was a, a mark to let you know how to speak it. And what Jesus is saying is, not one of those will pass away. In other words, God's word is inviolable. It's not going to be broken. He said as much in John chapter 10 verse 35 where he specifically said, and you can read the whole context in your own time, he specifically said scripture cannot be broken. So here's Jesus' view of the Bible. Scripture cannot be broken. If Jesus said scripture cannot be broken, meaning that the Old Testament has to be fulfilled, the Old Testament has to be accomplished, the Old Testament is God's statement about who we are and what we need, and by extension, the messages of the Gospels and the New Testament are the explanation of that fulfillment, the offer of salvation, then Jesus' own view of scripture is that it cannot be broken. Meaning that I believe, to put it in these terms, Jesus was an inerrantist. Jesus did not believe that the Old or New Testament was in violation or in error in any place or in any way. He believed in the inviability of Scripture. Here's another fascinating claim. This is number four. And then we'll look at a few takeaways. Jesus understood himself to be the centerpiece of Scripture. Again, this is quite arrogant if Jesus is not who the Bible claims that he is. Notice what he said in Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. This is the, the situation where Jesus showed up and walked with a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus after, after his resurrection. Started walking with him and talking with him, and they were amazed that this traveler didn't have any idea what happened in Jerusalem, speaking about the death of Jesus, his resurrection, and all the events that took, or not his resurrection, they didn't know he'd resurrected, but his death on the cross. And here's what Jesus said. And beginning with Moses. Well, let me pause for just a second. Let's go back to verse 25. He said to them, how would you like to have Jesus say this to you in conversation? Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In other words, you're not believing what's been told about me. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He goes on in that, very, in that chapter, verse 44 through 49, he said, These are my words that I spoke to you. This is to the, the whole of the disciples there before he went up into heaven, the ascension. He said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I, was, while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms are all about me. Now, if I stand up to you and say, Wilkesboro Baptist Church is all about me and I'm going to get my way and I'm going to have my preferences and I'm going to do my thing and you're just going to have to join me in that, then you would quote Philippians chapter 2 at me. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And if you stand up and by way of action or attitude say, it's about me and I've got to have my way, and I might quote Philippians chapter 2 at you. Say, do nothing out of vain uh, conceit or selfish ambition. But Jesus said to his disciples there as he was ascending into heaven, the law, 
the prophets, which, and the Psalms, which is the configuration of the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament fit in one of those categories as, uh, as the early Jewish believers said. All of those fit in those categories. Here's what Jesus was saying. It's all about me. That's arrogant if it's not true. But the reason it's true is because the only way that salvation can happen is if it is all about Jesus. Jesus' own view of scripture. That is a, it's, it's fascinating if we think about it from that context. Let me give you three takeaways and we'll be finished. If Jesus is God, then the doctrine of revelation and the doctrine of God are inextricably linked. Right now, we're still on the doctrine of revelation. Eventually, we'll get to the doctrine of God and talk about who God is. Talk about Trinity, talk about Christology, talk about pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But if Jesus is saying this is what Scripture is, then Jesus' own words are the words of God saying this is what Scripture is, right? I mean, if we believe He's fully God, if He is fully God, then this is God's own statement about His own word, right? And here's what Hebrews 6 says about God. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. God in his character, that he is holy and righteous and pure, cannot speak and utter a lie. It's impossible for God to utter a lie. Can't happen. So if God can't lie, then Jesus can't lie. What Jesus said is absolutely true. Now, you may be here and not believe that. You may be here and say, okay, hold on a second. I understand that this is what scripture claims about itself, but I don't believe that. That's fine. Well, it's not. I want you to believe what the scripture says about itself. But you don't have to take it at face value, but we do have to do justice with the fact that for us as Christians, if God speaks it, it can't be an error. Now, if if you're going to go to the pages of the scripture and say, this is just man's writings, okay. You can hold that position. I don't agree with you about that. But if this is God's word, if God spoke it, and that's what scripture attests for itself, that God spoke it, then we can't come to this and say, I know better than God, God's wrong on this point, or God doesn't know what he's talking about. Does that make sense? If God spoke it, and it's true and right because God spoke it, then we can't push back and say we know better than God. Let me give you a second takeaway. Uh, And this is sort of repetitive, but it's important. Jesus' view of scripture means that God's word is powerful to save and to sanctify. Some of you are concerned for lost family members and neighbors and friends. Do you know why it's important for you to invite them to a worship service where they hear the gospel or why it's important for you to share the Bible with them and scripture verses? Because God works through his word to save. Paul even said that to Timothy, that the scriptures made you wise into salvation. You want people to know Jesus? Then you've got to introduce them to this word. This is powerful. Paul put it that way in Romans chapter 1. It is powerful to save. If you want your child or grandchild to know Jesus, you're like, I don't know how to witness to them. Read the Bible to them. I'm not saying there's not more than that in terms of conversation. There might be. But God saves through the pages of his word. You want to get holy before God. I'm going to tell you, the best way for you to become holy is to read God's word. You can't read it long. can't read it long without God pointing out some areas in your life that aren't holy. And God will prick your heart with those and he'll convict you. And if you're 
desiring a right relationship with God, what you'll do, you'll confess that sin and recognize it. You know what the biggest problem in churches is? It's a lot of Christians who say they know God, but they don't ever let God say what God needs to say about them. Unholy Christians are Christians that aren't a part of, that don't have anything to do with God's word. God's word saves and sanctifies. Sorry, I'm, that's the preacher coming out in me. Let me give you the last one. Jesus' view of Scripture invites us to believe in order that we may understand. I I don't have time to do justice to this, but I'll be really short and really clear. Believe in order that we may understand. That's a phrase coined by Augustine about 1,600 years ago. Essentially, what Augustine was claiming is that we shouldn't enter Scripture or enter a, a, a perspective with God where we say, I have to understand. If I don't understand, I can't believe. And many people in our contemporary culture want to approach anything like that, but particularly they want to approach Christianity like that. I've got to understand, and if I don't understand, I can't believe. Now, that's not the proper way to view that. The proper way to view it is to recognize there are some things that we're just not going to understand. I believe the Bible through and through. I I, I do. I I don't believe there's error in it. But there are things about God as Trinity and things about God's foreknowledge, predestination, election, and our salvation. There are things about eternity and time. Folks, I don't understand. And I've been studying it my whole adult life. I don't understand it. But I still believe it. Still believe it. Believe in order that we may understand. Anselm picked up on that same argument uh, about four, 800 years later after Augustine. And here's the challenge to you. Maybe you're here or maybe you know someone who has that approach. Unless I can understand it, I won't believe it. Here's what I would encourage you to do or encourage you to encourage them to do. Why don't you just give God's word an opportunity? Say something like this. If you're not sure that this is God speaking, why don't you read it for a little bit and and find out? Why don't you open it up and read it with, okay, God, if you wrote this, will you help me to know that you wrote this? If you didn't write this, will you help me to know that you didn't write this or or, or something of that accord? Here's why I say to approach scripture at some level like that, because it is acknowledging that it may be God's word. And here's the reality. If it is God's word, and I believe it is, not just us are accountable to it. Everyone is accountable to it. And that's what scripture teaches. In fact, a a passage we didn't read in John chapter 12, Jesus put it this way. He said, my words will judge people on the last day. Every person's gonna stand before a holy God one day and be judged. What are they gonna be judged by? What God already said. Something available, something in front of them. So my advice to you is to give scripture a chance. We're going to come back next week and we're going to dive specifically into the doctrine of inerrancy. If you want to read more about inerrancy, I don't think it'll be on, I, I, I probably asked him to do this. Last week's podcast in the notes of that podcast as we shared it on our Facebook page we provided a link to the Chicago statement on inerrancy which is quite dated but it's still quite uh, authoritative in terms of what 
I believe inerrancy means, uh, the fact that Scripture is without error. If you'd like to follow that link or just look it up on Google, you can Google the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy, but we've provided the link for you in last week's Facebook update. We'll try to do that again this week. So we're going to dive specifically into inerrancy and what that means, and then we're going to look at subsequent uh, issues such as the clarity of Scripture and sufficiency of Scripture, uh, the authority of Scripture in subsequent weeks. So that's where we're headed. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.